Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. This is episode 36. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome to the show. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast where I interview nomadic entrepreneurs who are running a business while traveling full-time. Today on the podcast, I'm interviewing Kyle Kesterson, a storyteller, incredible photographer, illustrator, and also the founder of Freakin' Genius and Campfire. Kyle has written for media outlets like GeekWire and Huffington Post, and one of his startups even received an investment from Tony Shea from Zappos. Kyle has been on the road now for a little over two years and is currently living in a red Winnebago Travado named Van Bromph. <laughs> and uh, he's traveling with his best friend, Bentley Bean, which is an eight-year-old border terrier. It's an adorable little dog. And a few things we talk about today on the podcast is gaining perspective from living on the road, how Kyle uses photography and storytelling to connect with people while traveling, using Instagram to capture how you see the world, and starting your day from a creative place and making time for creating. Today's episode is sponsored by the RV Entrepreneur Summit. The RV Entrepreneur Summit is a conference we're hosting in Fredericksburg, Texas in February of 2017. And this is something that was born out of our Facebook group, Make Money in RV. And it was just a way to bring everyone together. One day I was sitting around thinking, okay, this is a cool community that we've been able to build up through this podcast, through this Facebook group and our blog at heathandalyssa.com. And I asked everyone, what can we do to make this community better? And that's sometimes a scary thing to ask people and put yourself out there and just say, you know, what am I doing that's bad or or what can we do to make it better? And somebody suggested we host an RV Entrepreneur Summit and it got like 60 or 70 likes on Facebook. And I was thinking, okay, maybe there's something to this. You know, I I thought you had to be at a certain place in your life to be able to host a conference. That sounded kind of scary. So I kind of dismissed it. And then over time, I thought, why not? You know, we've had a lot of amazing people who have been on this podcast sharing their stories as they're out traveling. And why not bring all those people together and people like you together who are listening to this podcast? And so as of yesterday, last night, tickets are officially available. And we released the first batch, which was 30 early bird tickets for the summit and they sold out in four hours. <laughs> to be honest, I, I thought it would be a really amazing event, a small conference, if we could have 30 people there. And we put those tickets out there last night, and they sold out in less than four hours. And I promise it's not a marketing thing where I'm trying to create some type of urgency and just tell you that they actually really did. And so that's really pretty awesome. And so we're going to be releasing more tickets. So if you're interested and you're listening to this before February of 2017, or you happen to be coming through Texas, or you'd be willing to make the trip into Texas, shoot me an email at heath at campgroundbooking.com and I'll hook you up. I'll make sure you get on the wait list for tickets. We'd love to have you. It's going to be a lot of fun. But even if you can't make it, thank you for listening to this podcast, supporting the show. And I would love to hear from you in iTunes. Subscribe, leave a honest review if you would be so kind. I check all of those and I think we're up to like 115 five-star reviews right now. So if you're listening to this and you haven't left a review in iTunes, I would love to hear from you. But I'll stop talking right now, and we'll get into today's interview with Kyle. Today on the podcast, I'm interviewing Kyle Kesterson. Kyle is a storyteller, incredible photographer, illustrator, and also the founder of Freakin' Genius and Campfire. He's written for media outlets like GeekWire, Huffington Post, and one of his startups received investment by Tony Shea of Zappos. Kyle's been on the road now for a little over two years and is currently living in a red Winnebago Travado named Bramp. Brumph Tagnasium, uh, which he just kind of walked me through that story, aka Van Bramph on Instagram. Awesome photos of that R- of that RV uh, with his best friend Bentley Bean, who is an eight and a half year old border terrier. Kyle, what's up, man? Thanks for being on the show, dude. He, thanks for having me, brother, man. I'm I'm really honored to be here. This is uh, kind of coming full circle. I feel like your your podcast really helped uh, shorten my my timeline from you know, jumping into this 2017 to much earlier. <laughs> I, I mean, you were, but you've been on the road now for like two years. So, I mean, uh, almost I have, a, yeah. yeah. So you know, it's, it's a mental thing. I think if anything, I was on the road sort of unintentionally <laughs> originally that started two years ago. And then, you know, that was out of a Jeep and suitcases and wasn't very comfortable, but made do with camping and couch surfing and just kind of making making whatever work but this actually it for the first time feels like fan life gosh i didn't i don't even know why i was gonna ask like two questions popped up in my head at the same time one was a super deep question 
about why are you on the road? And the other was a, a riff on van life on Instagram and how people, there's like a bajillion people who are doing the van life thing on Instagram. And I just like, I get it. They're really cool. It's similar to RV life. They're just smaller. Don't have ba- a lot of them don't have bathrooms, but it's just so freaking popular on Instagram. It's nuts, <laughs> right? No, it totally is. I feel like I'm stuck in the middle. I think that <laughs> Winnebago sort of did this. They, I think they hit the nail on the head here with this class B where it's half the time I'll call it van life. Other times it's Winnebago life. Other times it's RV life. But yeah. I mean, it's, it may be a little too fancy for some of the van lifers. They're probably, <laughs> they're probably going to stick their nose up at you because it's kind Dude, of fancy. I, got snubbed. Huh? <laughs> I totally got snubbed. Oh yeah. Like I think I was at Joshua Tree two weeks ago and uh, give I, I pretty much I've given over a hundred tours since I've gotten this thing and this this one woman out of her I think it was uh, it was one of the Vanigans I think and uh, once she realized that I didn't build it myself she was so <laughs> disinterested and turned around and walked away. <laughs> wow, the Vanigans are so expensive; they're over a hundred thousand dollars because apparently they don't make them anymore or something. I don't know if you know the backstory of those, the Vanigans. I don't. Yeah, that's pretty much all I got. I was kind of hoping you were going to come in on and save me with some good content. So let's keep moving. Uh, <laughs> back, back to my original question: Why are you? Why are you out on the road? Uh, we'll go back down the deeper route. But what what are you doing out on the road right now? Oof, that's a great question. Why? Well, I, I think where it started because I did say it happened a little unintentionally where I was. The company had run out of money, uh, the current company, and I took an investment from Tony Shane, the downtown project. I had been building a relationship with those guys for a while and was excited about what they were building, but I was living up in Seattle. And I think it was August 2014, they they put you know quite a bit of money in the company, and uh, I moved down from Seattle to Vegas. There are two cities I said I would never live one was Las Vegas and one was Los Angeles. <laughs> and I, <laughs> so Vegas, check that off. And then now I'm in LA, but I got down there, got a house, uh, leased it, just signed the lease, was unpacking two weeks later. They had a pretty big riff in their community and, um, it wasn't very welcoming. So rather than get sucked into it, I took a step back and was like, you know, I'm just going to go hit the road for a little bit and work remote now that you know, the remaining team that I kept around is on the, um, you know, just they're dispersed. So, and so was this, was this freaking genius? This is with freaking genius. Yes. And can you kind of give an overview of your, your, your companies or just the last couple that you've worked on? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Uh, well the first company, so this started in 2010. I just left, uh, the world. I was a toy developer and, uh, it was during the recession actually, with an art, uh, being an artist, which was really difficult to find work. And it was right, I mean, like literally the day that I left Funco was introduced to Startup Weekend. And I went to my first Startup Weekend where, you know, ideas are pitched, teams are formed, people build these prototypes of both a product and business. And from that weekend, actually, first I got a job the following Monday from the work I did over the weekend. And then I kept hacking on this idea as Techstars came through to Seattle, joined the inaugural class of uh, 2010 uh, Techstars, and this company was called Giant Thinkwell. We were doing celebrity social gaming, <laughs> and uh, it was around the rise of like Farmville. Anyways, my heart was not there, but we worked with celebrities. That was an interesting experiment. Failed quite a few products from their uh we ended up well so it's called haiku deck now actually the company's still going but uh 2011 i uh started freaking genius at another startup weekend there's a theme here (laughs) but started that in 2011 and just had the five-year five-year reunion that's awesome and and what does freaking genius do uh freaking genius i would say builds creative tools um right now we're working on a storytelling platform I put everything under the umbrella of the future of storytelling, which is kind of broad, but we, you know, freak and genius means art and science, creativity and technology. That makes me chief freak of (laughs) freaking genius. But um, for me, my passion really 
seems to circle around storytelling and content where it meets product um, and ultimately building community. And so through the years, we've managed to build a few tools and platforms. The latest one you mentioned, uh, Campfire, this one's a, this one hits close to home. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with this one. It's um, It creates an immersive audio-visual experience around physical books. So we're using the latest and greatest in voice recognition and some IoT, you know, smart bulbs and speakers. And it builds around um, just sort of that magical moment of sitting down with a child reading a print book, but keeping them as engaged as if you were to give them a screen, but screen free. I love that. It's it's an awesome idea. And I hope the company is still going whenever I have kids so we can, you know, sit down and chill with books and make it more of an experience. And I think that's a cool way to just get kids to learn too. I mean, I think that is, is really awesome. And also it makes me think of this this idea that I've thought about a lot actually, which I think would be really cool and I wish somebody would do, uh, which is just audio, local audio tours of cities as you're like traveling around in your mm. RV or van or whatever if you're a tourist. Uh, I think that would be really cool. Just crowdsourced, obviously, it'd have to be. But anyway, um, always kicking around ideas. There's so, something there. Yeah, maybe, maybe uh, down the road. But looking... Uh, that's do- where Startup Weekend comes in. Sorry, <laughs> that, that's where Startup Weekend comes in because it's like, is it? does it have legs? Can you find out in 54 hours if it's a terrible idea or if you'll work find people that are really passionate about it and gel uh, with and ultimately can work on something with. By the time you actually get to where it makes sense, it's probably not going to be audio tours of cities from an RV. It'll probably be completely different, but... <laughs> I mean, you've been around this community, this tech community in different places, and you've had this in-person camaraderie with teams and startup weekends, and that can be invigorating. But now that you've been out pretty much on your own for the past two years traveling, and I know you've got Bentley Bean with you, uh, and so you've got some good company and all that good stuff. But how how has it how has your mindset changed as far as trying to build a business, working with clients, you know, just figuring life out as you're traveling? Uh, and how is that different from you know when you were around this community of tech entrepreneurs who are pushing you? And you know, it's a intensive community, and you've got investors and and all this kind of stuff. The biggest thing that happens when I'm say back in Seattle or even visiting San Francisco or New York is I'm very quick to turn inward. I spend less time out doing things and more hustling and kind of in that like Gary V sort of hustle mode. For me, I find that, uh, well, I get busy and I'm personally at war with the term busy. I don't ever actually use the word busy. My, you know, my schedule can be action packed but I think busy is sort of misaligning priority and it's easy to get caught up in the grind and the noise. And when you're not able to step away and remember why you're doing what you're doing and what it ultimately means in our blink of a moment of existence, it's really easy to feel like the challenges that we're faced with are our entire world. And it could, you know, everything hinges on these things and it's, um, so in other words, it's, it's, you have more perspective when you're out on the road. That that's the number one thing that I gain from being on the road is perspective. And that's like, you know, perspective, uh, for myself and everything it's uncovering past pains. For example, you know, a lot of us, as we, and I'll just speak for myself as I grew up, you know, I had a really tumultuous childhood you know, my family was homeless. Um, you know, we were, did the whole shelter thing. And, um, I actually think that that's where the seed of this idea of adventure was implanted and that my parents created this narrative that we were on an adventure and there was a reason to keep moving. And, you know, it took many, many, many years till I was able to process that. And for me, I was withheld by one of my deepest fears and almost my like deepest place of shame, which was that I was homeless and that I was a total screw up. And, you know, I dropped out of high school. I went to 14 different schools. You know, I, you know, I've, I've gotten to tell this story now, but when I first even jumped in the world of being an entrepreneur and dealing with investors and successful in air quote business people, and I felt like an 
a complete fraud. You know, it's that little voice in the back of my head saying, oh God, if they only knew, you know, and that I was playing this game, but I wasn't really part of it, whatever that means. And, but as I started to take a step back and realize, wait a second, that's just fear. And when I identified that as fear, I'm like, nope, got to go. And so I stepped into that head on. And as soon as that happened, man, everything completely changed for me. Like it, my intrinsic fuel got replaced. You know, it first came from a place of pain, which, you know, part of my language, but I had a lot of like, fuck you juice that I had something to like prove to people in the world. And that ultimately takes the control out of your own hands. You know, like you're doing something to receive that validation that you never, that I never had growing up. Now, once I came face to face with that fear and I stepped through and I realized, wait a second, not my greatest shame or my greatest weakness. It's actually my greatest strength. It's the reason that I'm able to be resilient, that I'm able to be scrappy. And, you know, I have to been, you know, I had to have been. And so as I started to see it as my strengths, it started to recalibrate for me, what is success? And I think even today is, it's a constant growing extension of defining what success is for myself. And as I started to do that, you know, very little of it requires material or, or even a higher place amongst each other. It's more autonomy with my own time and my own ideas, being able to explore and not be told no. Like I, I hate being told no. And I would also say just being able to connect with people to hear their stories. And getting back to your initial question, when talking about the contrast of being in a city versus being out on the road, when you're in the city, your perspective of the world is shaped by what we consume about the world. And so that's through social media, it's through big media, it's through TV and movies and whoever else wants to classify and characterize people outside these bubbles. And we're seeing that now. I mean, it could not be more relevant with what just happened in this election cycle. And what traveling has done has just given me a real grounded it's real grounded access to people behind these stories that I can connect with anywhere that I go. And that has been the baseline for filling up my sketchbook with ideas, uh, starting from themes that I hear amongst people sharing their stories and problems they come up with and that they're dealing with that are seem to be universal, but not yet being met. I think that answers your question. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm glad that it got sidetracked and good job on bringing it back. So a couple of things that made me think of was one, whenever, you know, I'm sure that you probably felt this too, but in the startup community and, you know, everyone is just hustle, hustle, hustle all the time, your head's down. Uh, If you don't, you have to get this done, you know, you're in this final sprint trying to push out whatever new features and it's just you you eat, live, and breathe this all the time, and nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong with working hard, but then you get out on the road, and you can still realize, first of all, there's probably a lot of wasted time in that, but also just a lot of sucked out joy of the process of doing it, and and so just, I don't know, being on the road totally gives you that perspective, and I've I've definitely felt that too on the on the sense of watching the news and all these other things. They they make the world to seem a really bad place. Like there's so many bad things happening all the time, but then you get out and you experience all these different people all the time and, and you realize that overwhelmingly most of the time that's just not true. I mean, people are predominantly good for the most part and the world isn't fatalistic. It's not always going to be coming to an end. Yep. No, it's true. And I, I think there, there's two things I thought of when you were saying that. The first being that there's been this recurring theme uh, in in my life. And it actually started from uh, a lunch that I had with the this guy that started like Redbox and Coinstar, just very passion-driven, mission-driven guy. And he said, and I don't think he meant for it to be a quote, but it's like my quote, you know? Um, (laughs) and he said, when your world is really small, your problems get really big. And when your world is big, your problems become small. And I mean, think about that. And I mean, everything is relative and being in a city with light pollution, you don't see the stars. You don't get that sense 
of how small and insignificant and momentary we are. And it's one thing to be like, oh yeah, we're a blip in the blink of an eye. And you know, where it's it, to, to say it, but to like viscerally know it slows you down and stops and stops you. And you're just realizing that like, at the end of the day, this doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if this goes well. It doesn't matter if it doesn't go well. It doesn't matter, which can, for some people can take to be like, oh, I don't matter. But actually, I think it's the opposite where, if anything, I think it also reinforces how incredibly special this opportunity is to be alive today, getting to experience sensations like gratitude, being able to take in all of this, you know, the the world around you and be like, this is happening right now. And I get to be a part of it. Like, that's a gift. And I feel like we lose perspective when we stay in these echo chambers. And I also think that and this is another way that I make my world big. And sort of this gets to, uh, this has allowed me to come full circle, even my own story is getting to reach back into poverty and connect with people in homelessness who are suffering. And I didn't know at the time until I faced that fear, when I look back, I'm like, just the act of getting through suffering and not even just surviving, but now getting to the point of thriving, you become a beacon of light for somebody in a dark time just by you being you. And I think that our deepest place of purpose can come from our deepest place of pain. Um, but you have to be able to to own that. And th- this is what I've experienced, at least anyway. So as I get to share stories with people who are, you know, at the worst of what life can throw at them, it it's the quickest dose of reality where I get to come back home, wherever home is, and be like, oh my God, a soft, clean pillow. you know and it's real you know and it's that centers me and so it's taken me away from where I originally started and what I was striving for but I don't think it's become mutually exclusive to where I can't work on something that matters that won't achieve a material success I think that's going to be a repercussion to doing something that really deeply connects with people so that's that's what I'm trying to align everything in my life towards. Yeah, are are you viewing your travels and what you're doing out on the road now? How does that fit into the trajectory of your entrepreneurial journey? I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, a lot of people think of travel as like an extended vacation time to you know be a, have a gap year, gather your thoughts, go out and you know take time off. But with you, it's you're out taking photos, you're sketching, you're doing projects. So how is it? How is it all intertwined together? If that makes sense, totally makes sense. And it, it's it could not be more intertwined. There's for one, getting back to connecting with people, getting to okay. Here, here's a good example. While I'm on the road, there's probably two main themes in a very physical way that happen in my day to day, especially as I'm actively traveling versus sort of camped out somewhere. One is, I wonder where this road leads. (laughs) And it's turning off the main road onto a, an unmarked road. And just because I'm curious. And when I turn down that road, all of a sudden expectation goes out the window. It's pretty amazing what kind of experience you can have when you have zero expectations. And so that, that aligns me back to the cliche, it's about the journey, not the destination, because everything is now new and almost building anticipation as I go further down it. Many times I'll end up somewhere that's not the like epic overlook, but I had such a sensory experience getting there that I'm okay with that. And as I, that then actually gets into the, the other theme, which is, can I manage to get myself into a situation where I'm like, Oh am I going to get out of this? All right. (laughs) And like, I mean, like to truly get to a point where like, uh, well, I didn't consciously mean to get myself stuck on the side of this Canyon with no service and can't get back up and, 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 but what happens is when I hear myself say that 
I then stop. I'm like, yes, this is when the adventure starts. <laughs> and because and, to me, like adventure begins when uncertainty sets in. It's not just because I step out the van or outside and I'm near a tree that I'm in an adventure, right? And uh, stepping into that, I mean, I'm truly uncomfortable when it happens. And that's just, you know, that's a, a response that your body produces because it's trying to protect you. But that is also the fringe where you have an opportunity to grow. And so when I experience that first, oh shit moment, I get excited about it and then I keep going into it and I just push through and push through until, well, until I get to what I call the butthole pucker moment. (laughs) 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 And that's just too much. Well, that's just, that's the moment where I'm it, it there, you know, there's a fine line between common sense and fear. And that's the moment where it is crystal clear that it's common sense. And actually being is first to get that moment. Like we'll be in a situation where he will sit down and look at me and look away and not pay attention to anything else I have to say until we start going back. <laughs> like, you know, so there's been a few times where I'm like, okay, Bean, you stay there. I've already set my mind on that goal to get that shot. So I'm going to keep going. And then, you know, I'll climb up on scrag, you know, scrambly rock 20 feet with boots and a backpack thinking, wait a second, if I fall right now, Bean's going to get eaten by a mountain lion. Let's go ahead and back down just a little bit. But what ends up happening is actually two things. Uh, One is in those moments where I'm exploring, again, this is in a very physical way. When I'm exploring in an area, in a situation that I'm uncomfortable in, I'm not doing any work to put my attention into something. And I feel like so much of the work we get caught up in back in civilization is we struggle to keep our attention on things that we're so easily distracted. So in this scenario, my attention just slips into it and I have to pay attention to every single step. That's when time disappears. Like you are present, right? And so which I appreciate that when I eventually get out of that situation, I will then do my own postmortem and go through how can I make sure that this doesn't happen again? So then I get to empower myself or add a resource to my toolkit that would make it to where if this situation happens again, I'm going to be better, be better prepared. And now it's to the point where, you know, I could go get lost with being for two or three days and be okay. Now, when we take, we jump back over into operating in a more mental and emotional state, it shares space, I think, with, the, it's the same muscle. And so as I uh, approach, uh, uncertainty and discomfort. Cause what is it to be an entrepreneur? It's like, you're carving a path in a place that has no map and no path before you. And so you're going to be faced with peaks, valleys, alligators, shit on fire, all sorts of like stress that you <laughs> have not been trained for. And your ability to, to just step into that, you know, I think is what ultimately can make you, at least me, it makes me a better entrepreneur. Yeah, it's like learning to accept comfort and uncomfortable, like or learning to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations or just accept. Yeah, I don't know. That's why I say, like, learn to be comfortable with discomfort. Yeah. And I, I can say that after I, our whole first year on the road, I was pretty much uncomfortable most all the time as we were driving our RV through, you know, all the biggest cities in the US, New York City, San Francisco, LA, whatever. And, you know, just parking in places where you don't know how safe it is because and also gaining filling out your own comfort zone you know how how am i feeling being boondocking in this random parking lot in this weird neighborhood of (laughs) portland that i've never been before with my newlywed wife and uh just kind of getting past on those barriers so going going back to you know talking about your adventures taking photos I, i i saw you posted some epic photos of the super moon last week i mean ridiculously awesome thank you um and I mean, I know you know they were how epic they were, but I was just looking at them, and you have your you have von Brumpf in front of the uh, the moon, and and there was also a few other ones of you know there was was there there was like an animal in front of one, right? Yeah, one was an elephant with the trunk up, and I had worked to figure out the trajectory of the moon so that I could place it to where it looks like he's like playing with a beach ball. <laughs> 
Oh, and then there was one on Oceanside uh, with the with yeah. your actually that one stunned me when I got back to putting it in Lightroom. I'm like, whoa! When I was consciously taking that photo, I was actually being rushed, and I think it's this is the nice thing about doing something so often that it becomes muscle memory. Is I didn't see myself necessarily taking that photo. If anything, actually, I had the tripod stuck on the very edge of a bench with the back leg stuck pushing up against a tree. I couldn't fully see what I was taking, but I was sort of like looking along my lens down to where I thought it was taking. Anyways, I managed to get like the perfect horizon with where everything was placed and it surprised me. I'm like, well, that's, that's actually pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it, it was awesome. And I remember I saw, I saw that photo. So after the supermoon, and I saw these other two photos, the one of the elephant and the one of the ocean, and I was thinking, oh, maybe he grabbed some photos from another account and kind of reposted them. And then I read the caption and it was, you said that you had covered 450 miles, nine hours of driving, that you went on hikes, scouted locations, and you spent hours waiting on that perfect moment. Like you said, the elephant and the beach ball. Mm-hmm. And you said that the process, that this process has really helped you appreciate the work that goes into the many inspiring images that you see that look so effortless. Because Alyssa and I were talking about that photo and we we're like, man, why do we even try? Like, why do we even try to take photos and post them on Instagram? So part, so one part of me is saying, I'm glad that you threw out some of the hard work that goes into photos because I'm very much a rookie photographer, but, but would like to learn. But my, but my real question was, what's the deal, you know, with having an amazing Instagram account where you're taking these photos? Like, what is it, what is it leading to, you know, why are you doing it and how does it fit into your work right now? a great question or is it more is it more of a creative outlet no no it's a great question both in that uh, well the the first thing my mind was lingering on was it's actually something that i hear quite a bit is you know why do i even try and i think my response to that is you know you shouldn't try to capture and show how i see the world you should try to capture and show how you see the world and how the way you see the world changes because ultimately that's what people care about and i think that the danger that we've seen of Instagram around this onslaught of epic photo is, first of all, it normalizes you. It like numbs you. And it's really become regurgitated and templated. And, you know, it's a candy shell. It's no longer nutritious. And I, I think that there's something much deeper with what something like photography as one medium can provide. And I think this is what gets back into your other question around why do I, what, where does this go? You know, for, for me, as I started using photo, uh, Instagram, excuse me, when I started using Instagram, you know, initially it was like, Hey guys, this is who I am. This is what's happening in my world. And you know, this is a number of years ago. And then it became a showcase of, you know, all of the things that I'll take photos of. And it's really broad ranging of the, the type of photography that I'll do. But then it started to get slowly honed in and, you know, actually, which you'll find of as people start to uh, expect something from you. Recently, I posted a photo of my niece and I lost like 300 followers. <laughs> um, <laughs> but whatever, screw them. I don't need them. But no, it, it's more uh, it, it keeps evolving. So it was a showcase for a while. And then after that, I'm like, I'm going to do things, you know, to say things to move people and like, you know, basically like preach. And, you know, you get a lot of these really preachy accounts where they just want to give you like the perfect quote to go with it and everything else. And, you know, and I, I totally fell into that too, but you know where it's ended up for me currently, I don't know where it'll be tomorrow, but where it's at currently is it's selfish for me. Now it's, I wake up and one of the very first things that I do sometimes before I make my bed, making my bed's a big part of my routine. But, (laughs) um, one of the things that I'll do is I'll usually have, um, so I'll go out, I'll shoot some photos. I end up with a large set. I've learned how to be patient with releasing my photos. I used to have to get them out all at once, but I'll have a, I'll have a series of images. And that morning I'll look at a folder and look at, you know, which one is speaking to me in this moment that, you know, that I want to show that might be related to something that, either I'm already thinking about is some sort of theme is a conversation I had something that isn't fully formed yet, but there's seems to be a tie. So I'll start with the visual and then I'll stare at it for a while. Sometimes, you know, 20, 30 minutes will go by before, excuse me, where I write the first word or the first question comes up. And once it starts to happen, 
these become my daily creative exercise to get my brain going, to, to ask myself questions. And the more that I do it, it's like a muscle, you know, it, it allows me to go deeper. And so I start my day getting to start from a creative place. And what I've found is the more that I turn it inward and what's really alive inside of me, uh, if you will, it turns out that it's also having to be connecting with people with where they're at. Does that make sense? Yeah, no. I mean, that makes total sense. And my follow-up question for that would be, how does that fit into the work that you're doing right now? And by the way, it's it's really awesome to know exactly all the work that goes into that because it is so easy to look at that and just be like, hey, man, he's just like throwing just up photos. <laughs> he, take, he takes on his iPhone, sitting around, you know, drinking his coffee, just throwing up some texts while he's, you know, watching Netflix or something, you know. Uh, so, yeah. So what is so what is maybe that's a good transition point anyway. So what does your work actually look like right now while you're on the road? Are you you're still managing campfires? So maybe you have some contract workers or you're doing client work or uh, so what is like kind of this this full 30,000 foot spectrum of your work look like right now while you're traveling? Yeah, great question. Uh, you know, portion of my day works on campfire. My team is spread across Chile, New York, Seattle, myself, wherever I'm at. And so, you know, we everything is done by using Trello goal uh, sprints. So I have goals for all my projects and it allows me to actually procrastinate <laughs> and and it doesn't matter how much time I spend on something as long as I get something accomplished and what needs to be accomplished. So that's actually created a lot of breathing room to allow for other things. So I will have a portion of my week will be spent on campfire, you know, uh, to help bootstrap campfire and pay some bills. I've taken on some consulting and that brought me out to LA, uh, which has been an incredible experience. It's not just sort of like jumping into, hey, where can I do some work? It's more like I very explicitly laid out what is the type of work that I want to be do be doing? Who do I want to continue to grow into? For me, it was like, you know, I want to be a storyteller, inventor, leader. You know, what what can I look for in this environment, especially in the realm of content, product, and community? And so I created a short list and I reached out to some folks and it's been an incredible experience. So I've been consulting. Right now I'm leading a, I built another team, another product, kind of have full autonomous control over where it's going uh, with a lot of awesome creative input. Being in LA actually is a little, an aside, being in LA, you know, I'm surrounded. Um, right now I'm working with Jib Jab Studios, which, you know, they're most notably the end of year review that they would do little flash animations and their e-card business like elf yourself <laughs> anytime you get uh, your face on some dancing body but they anyways they have that's like one part of their business they're actually apple's premier partner for ios 10 and messages which is why i'm here i'm building a, a communication messaging product uh, they released a are you are you a developer as well or are you i mean are you doing the design or <laughs> actually no i'm not even doing the design so Basically, you know, I concepted the the product head to toe and, you know, I run the, the team and, you know, I, I think in total for this team, we'll have uh, 16 people working on it from different departments. So I'm just kind of getting to play ringleader and watch this thing come to life. And it's, you know, just wildly fulfilling. Um, and actually, it's a this one in particular has a direct tie in with the first product I built uh, at Freaking Genius. We, we built a product uh, called Yakit where you can animate instantly using your voice. You like speak to animate. You can bring any photo to life. So we're, we're taking a lot of what I learned for years of doing that and uh, getting to apply it more directly in this, in this format. Anyways, you'll see more of that in the future. But on the outside of those two things, you know, much of my time, especially since being in L.A., is just through cr like creative expression, like getting back to being an artist. And, you know, there's sort of this balance between being an artist and an entrepreneur as they're like two separate things, which I look at as this like battle between art and commerce, which is a very real contention that both need each other, but hate each other. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as I've stepped into being, you know, CEO and, you know, leading these projects, I've removed myself further and further away from getting to 
be a part of the creative process as like even to the point of pushing pixels, you know, to answer your question, I'm not at all a developer, you know, just talking to those people just melts my brain, but I've picked up enough to at least have <laughs> a, a decent conversation and help drive Can the project. speak the lingo. Yeah. And so, you know, so I'm, I'm here, I mentioned JibJab because I'm surrounded by 2D animators, 3D animators, Muppet builders, just all this incredible talent. So the couple months I work here three afternoons a week, and then I hit the road as far away from LA as I can get. But while I'm here, you know, I'm writing more than I've ever written. I'm back to drawing and illustrating. I'm taking more photos. I'm working on a actual gallery show. I'm actually, I just posted about this today. It was funny, you know, being in a van or an RV, very limited space, right? And all creative things come from constraints. And so when I got into this very tight space, I was like, what is this going to uh, encourage and or allow for as a creative expression? I no longer have access to all of my tools for my studio. I had to significantly downsize. So I wanted to start picking up new things. And I was like, hey, a ukulele seems like it's a good fit of Anne. <laughs> so I'm playing music more and I'm just spending as much free time as I can creating and so much less time consuming. Yeah. I love that. I, gosh, I need to take some tips from you because I really suck at yeah, taking time to, to hone my creative skills. And I really, really want to, I mean, I, I really enjoy photography when I take the time to go out and be intentional about a place to go to and, and you going out at golden hour early or late, mm. Uh, or, you know, making a video like, gosh, I haven't made a video just for the heck of it in a really long time. And, but when I do these things, it promotes just having fun. Like the reason why you start doing these things. And yeah, I mean, what kind of advice would you give me just, uh, you know, set aside time from work, you know, cause I, I feel like I'm in this empire building phase of my life or whatever the heck you'd like to call <laughs> it, you know, where I have to be hustling. So, so many hours a day, but I, I really do feel that. And, you know, I'm trying to get business started. Uh, sacrificing time now for, you know, for, and, and I'm enjoying it, but I, I don't want to completely give up all these different areas where I'd like to grow. You know, I'm, I was looking through all your, all your stuff before we talked and you're doing all these amazing illustrations and you're t super talented. You can do it on the computer. You do, you know, Lightroom photos, you've seen, you've done video stuff, but you also make time for the entrepreneurial venture. So uh, what's your secret, bro? Yeah, I don't know that it's a secret, but it's, uh, you know, first and foremost, it, you know, I try to surround myself with people that make me feel really stupid. And I'm okay with that. I, I allow myself to ask the stupidest questions I can, you know, with, like with no ego, just questions where I don't even want to assume the answer. I just want to ask the question anyway. So seriously, like so much of what sparks it for me is just being curious, but surrounding myself with people that when I look at just them operating and what they're doing, I'm like, Oh, I got to do that. <laughs> you know, just like I, I need to make that thing. And sometimes it's, I'll work backwards from, especially if I'm in something that I'm really new and uncomfortable with, like this ukulele, for example, I'm not playing any of my own stuff. Like I'm starting with actually musician as an app is incredible. I thought I was going to go and get an instructor so that I could have some accountability to stick with it. Cause I know myself, I'll buy the thing and then leave, let it collect us. So, you know, accountability is one great driver committing to things, but you're also kind of creating an extrinsic motivator when somebody else is relying on you or you're doing something to showcase or whatever. I try to, as much as I can, like where, where does that fuel live internally? And I'll usually go through this process of breaking things into metaphors. Here's one of my favorites um, that helped me get through a lot, actually. You know, I, I see myself and my time as a cup. You know, this cup has a finite amount of space that can go, of uh, things that can go into this space. And so this process I went through was starting to identify, and this could be people, this could be environments, and this could be material, is cup suckers and cup uh, fillers. So, you know, a cup filler is somebody who, you know, you might be feeling neutral and then you have a conversation with them and you walk away feeling more than excited, inspired, educated. You know, that's a cup filler. If you're in an environment that lights you up and makes you feel content, whatever that feeling is, that's a cup filler. 
On the flip side, if you're having conversations with or surrounded by things that just suck your energy dry, that make you feel a little blah, it's usually those, you know, victims that, you know, are cynical, whatever, you know, you want to attach to it. When I, I started going through this process of mentally slapping a plus sign and a negative sign off of everyone and everything, um, and it allowed me to sort of create this map of who and what in my life was adding and who was taking. And, you know, that's not to say that someone's going to have a bad day and they're going to be a cup sucker for the day. It's more like a theme over time. Yeah. And as soon as I would identify that, I just, I'm sorry, got to go. And the more that I did that, I realized, hey, it's actually easy to step away from things because you create space. As soon as you have space, good things can come fill it. And it, again, comes back down to priority. Like You know that you want to grow. And these things, they're doing more than just moving your body in a way where the artistic expression is representing your idea. That's what art is. There was a question that you asked around I remember exactly how you uh, framed it, but the way that I look at creativity is you're all you're doing is seeing something for more than what it's labeled to be, right? Is usually we label something so that we don't have to waste cognitive and like load on trying to figure out, okay, what am I supposed to do with this thing? Like we need this water bottle to be a container that holds water so that we can focus on, you know, solving challenges that matter, right? But at the same time, you then overlook the possibility of what a water bottle, uh, I'm saying that because I'm looking at a water bottle, uh, you, of, <laughs> of what a water bottle can be used for. You know, it's that MacGyver lens. And the more that we it are- be filled with pennies. Yeah, dude, totally. It could be, <laughs> exactly. And so your ability to, to stop sometimes and look at the little things and see its possibility- the more you do that, that's a creative act. That's a creative lens. Now, when you actually transform it into something, whether it's artistic or whatever, like that's just the expression of that, the way you're seeing things. You know, and I think this just gets back to just this bigger idea that, you know, ultimately I believe everybody is creative. And I think we've done a terrible job at labeling people as creative if they're not an artist, you know? But I think coming back full circle, surrounding yourself with people and just, you know, notice even when you watch something like we're built to consume, like our bodies are built with all these senses. Like right now you're consuming through your ears and I'm communicating and we'll get a feeling of being inspired about something, but we don't often do something with it. When you feel it, stop what you're doing and just like, just start writing on a page, you know, just grab a pen. It doesn't have to be elaborate. The hardest part is literally just starting. Before you know it, time slips, disappears, and you're like, wait a second. I really like that. I'm going to do that again. So if somebody's listening to this right now and they're feeling inspired about any particular thing, a thought, an idea that they have, they should stop what they're doing and write it down physically on paper or take notes on their phone. One of the two, right? One of the two, I would say that, <laughs> yeah, feeling inspired is not good enough. That is a lie. <laughs> it's the. I think that's a... I'm about to go on a large little philosophical rant. I won't do it. Um, but anyways, it, tr switch modes, switch modes, like put it down. And taking a pen and paper is you connecting yourself to yourself in a way that tapping will not get there. I mean, if it's going to be either or, you know, or sorry, if it's going to be, uh, if you don't type it out on your phone, you're not going to do it at all. Type it out on your phone. Like I collect notes all day long or voice memos or whatever. But if you have the opportunity to take a pencil or a pen and move it across a page, make it real. You know, I think that there's, there's still something that there's a lost art in a very simple act of just moving your hand and connecting it, you know, uh, to your, to your brain. I love that. I think it's always funny when you bring up writing on paper and the fact that you like it, because especially when you're on older people and they kind of just look at you like, aren't you supposed to be a millennial and a young <laughs> you know, strapper? And, and aren't you supposed to hate paper? And I get people to look at me the same way when I tell them I much prefer phone calls to text messages. I just, I don't know. It's weird, but it's fun to also be that, uh, you know, the weird one. The weird and, one, and dude. I guess nothing. And 
be unapologetically weird in however weird suits you. <laughs> don't don't be someone else's version of weird. Be your own definition of weird. Because actually, um, the guy who turned me on to your podcast, this guy Mike Folden, uh, is one of my best friend, incredible filmmaker, director. He put out a video today that it's the first. This is going to sound weird, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I I saw this video and I'm like, this is refreshing he did this did this piece and i'll i'll send it to you but uh he did and we'll post it in the show notes it's it's so good it's refreshing in that it's it is authentic it's not it's not branded authentic it is truly it's a lot of the corporate content and media that's produced is created by groupthink and trying to make something that is good for everybody. And it really strips out the humanity of it. And this one, for example, like the, the company or Facebook wouldn't boost it because they're swearing a part of it. Right. But it's this woman being this woman and it's so moving in her whole message. I mean, the way it started is like, I'm so blessed that I was born fat, black, and weird, (laughs) you know, and she's this, but the weirdness, like when you embrace weird and you remove that filter you emerge and i was talking to a friend of mine recently who has a little seven-year-old boy and he came home just totally upset because he's being called a weirdo and it just struck me because culturally we shame weird right like we have such a hard time accepting weird because it doesn't fit into our labeling model and ironically it's the weirdos that we end up creating telling their story or following, you know, or they end up creating something that is new because they're not at the place that everybody is already at. And so I think everybody needs to get weird. Anyways, that's my rant. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I love it. Um, and on a side note, I just picked up a book that is kind of on the subject. It's called how to be free in an unfree world. It was actually written in the seventies and it's essentially, um, I'm only a few chapters in, but I got it from a trusted friend. And basically, it's kind of helping helping you be more self-aware about certain things and uh, basically not putting yourself into the trap of doing things just because, you know, they're expected, you know, to be done. And and so there's so many people that talk about this kind of takeaway, which is, as a kid, we're us, weird and all. Like, you were little Kyle, I was little Heath, and, uh, and then... Through, through school or people or TV or society or whatever, we kind of like morph into this perception of who we think we should be. And then, you know, the ones who I, I think are lucky and, you know, tr- spend years, I think, trying to figure out and get back to that person who they were. And, you know, when people create and push videos out like Mike did today uh, with a woman and it's those rare moments that actually are real and connect with people. And I think we all crave that more than ever because it's more than it's it's easier now than ever to just bullshit and, and throw stuff up on Instagram and, you know, act like everything is great in life. And, you know, like your startup is always going to be uber successful and there's always going to be money coming in and life on the road is always amazing. But that's, you know, that's not what people connect with. They, you know, they connect with, like you said, honesty, being real, being weird, being vulnerable, you you know, absolutely. And it all, it all ties into, to, you know, building a business too, because it's like business is also a reflection of, you know, extension of who you are. It's not building something else that you think you should build, but building what's unique to you. Uh, A few things. Uh, I think life is harder if you're not weird. And I think that goes against the <laughs> probably. I think that's what that's what should be the title of this <laughs> podcast. I'm writing that down. Life is harder if life is harder if you're not I weird. Think, okay, keep going. I'm just going off the cuff because I've never had this thought before. But I think life is weirder or harder when you're not weird because now you're fighting upstream against people's expectations. You're trying to fit and meet people's expectations and overcome people's expectations. If you fall below the line of expectation, you're never going to get anywhere. Our whole, you know, we're driven to create momentum for ourselves and we're only going to create momentum if we go above the expectation that's created for ourselves. So if we are in line in the same stream, living this life that fits within these defined bounds, you have to do so much to rise above that noise. 
If you're weird, you're going the other way. There's no, there's no precedent. There's no expectation. You get to be you and it just blinds people. Like it shocks them. You know, it, they don't even know what to do with you. So guess who or what they're going to be talking about at the end of the night. <laughs> you know, um, I can't tell you how many opportunities I've created. So I got into tech stars my first year because I sent an onslaught of ransom notes <laughs> to the managing director. And I was like, I'm either going to get a restraining order or I'm getting into tech stars. But, you know, there's, I'm using that as one example, but, you know, that's a good one in that to get into something like tech stars where you're, you're seeking access there, especially where there's rules. It's like, okay, if you want to be into uh, this program, you know, submit your application. Here's your application. Uh, inside your application, you're going to send this video of your problem and your team. And, you know, and then we're going to, if we like you, we're going to meet with you once. If we like you again, we're going to meet with you again. Um, or like you, we'll meet with you again. So there's this like format and everybody's working so hard to make sure that their video is the best or their application's the best. We did a good video and application, but there was a lot of left, like hours left in the day I wanted to be a part of what he was talking about at night when he was at dinner, you know? And so, you know, we devised this whole other thing and we're really scrappy and it was, you know, it was, it was creepy. I won't lie, but it totally worked. And so you get to define <laughs> weird. Anyways, I think that ultimately like, it's not going to be easy being weird because you do have to deal with separation. You do have to deal with opinion. Like opinion is such a prison Right. Like, anyways, I was doing this whole talk about opinions recently, and it was I think that's one of the worst things that we have that we put on each other is when we have I try not to have an opinion, as ironic as that sounds. Anyways, I can't tell that you have. No opinions. <laughs> I try not to have an opinion that boxes somebody in that shuts somebody down. Now, I like that. I get that. Yeah. Uh, so. I haven't really done this before, but I just decided in the moment that I really like it and I might do it in future podcast episodes too. But can you give some just tactical few takeaways for somebody? If, you know, they are saying, you know, I'm an entrepreneur or I'm, I would like to be more creative and I'm selfishly probably going to do these things. So uh, on my own, so I'm asking in part for myself too, like what are a few things that somebody can do in order to be more creative? Because I, I think in a certain way for me, like, I want to do it just to do it because I enjoy it as an escape and and as an artistry, I enjoy creating things and I would like to pursue that more. But I also think there's other side benefits too, you know, just being able to take my mind off of work. And also, I know that it's also going to come back into my work too, because it's going to help me be more creative to solve problems. So what are some things that somebody like me or anybody else who's listening can do to just, I guess, creativity exercises, if that's mm -hmm. a thing? No, it totally is a thing. First of all, like be curious, like learn how to be curious, you know, look at something that you don't have an answer for and ask a question and then keep asking questions until you ask the right question because the right question is the right key and whether you're asking yourself or you're asking somebody else like when i do my mentor and i'll, I'll come back to this i won't go too much on tangent but when when i get to sit down with uh you know early stage startups and founders and teams and you know i don't give suggestions at all anymore. It, even if I have a strong opinion, I won't do it. I'll just ask questions until they feel the question and they get it because it has to be alive for them. They can't just take a playbook from somebody else because they see them as successful because what they're doing is new and they're, again, there's no map for it. So first of all, like be curious. I think another one is find your own pain. Like, what are you avoiding? What have you been avoiding? And maybe it's not a conscious like, oh, I'm not going to think about, you know, being disconnected from my parents or I love my parents. I'm not disconnected from my parents, but you know, I'm not going to, you know, think about, you know, the time I was molested as a child. Like, I'm just going to throw that out there. Like find that real pain, because I think when you find what that is, whatever it is, as we've gone through life, we've found ways to cope. And as we found ways to cope, we avoid. And so we're living on the outside of who we really are. And that needs like healing and understanding needs to happen. And I think pain is 
the partner to problems and problems are the source of where creative ideas come from. So, you know, look inward and ask yourself like really hard questions. It's, it's okay. Because first of all, you're going to realize that the thing that you're looking for in life, again, can come from that source, the thing that you're avoiding, it's going to make you the most qualified to be impactful and really have a sense of purpose when you can uh, align yourself to that. So, and the other one is, uh, and I think they're all kind of intertwined, but give a shit, like find something that you really, really deeply give a shit about because that's your fuel. When, and this is why I'm not at all afraid of sharing ideas. You know, I, I get this a lot of like, ooh, but it's too early. Do you want to, you know, tell it too early? Or you go to a startup weekend with somebody who's never been. It's like, oh, I don't want to, you know, what happens if someone steals my idea? Let them. It's not going to go very far because, first of all, they don't have the context. First of all, if you're, second of all, I guess, if you're working on something or you have an idea on something that comes from your pain, connect the two, then you're going to have the fuel that's going to allow you to get through the ups and downs that it takes to actually get it out into the world when it's the right thing for the right audience at the right time. You know, how many times you're going to want to quit because being an entrepreneur sucks. It's hard. When somebody asks, how are you doing? <laughs> Do you want to hear that I just signed this really big deal or that, you know, my best friend died? You know, it's like he did die. But, you know, we live such a high dynamic range where you experience the highest highs, lowest lows that comes with being an entrepreneur. If you do, if you want to live off of somebody else's map, you're going to get a more even keel existence. So you need a fuel that's going to get you through the darkest, hardest times and they will come and embrace them when they come because each and every one is a growth opportunity. Like where I've gotten to today, where I feel more fulfilled and inspired and excited about living than I ever have in my life. And that road is paved with failure. It's dead bodies left and right, you know, but you just have to know that that's part of the process. When I launch something, so here's another one. So we have an idea that you put on paper or you want to put on paper and be like, this is going to be the thing that is the right idea. Know ahead of time that the first thing you put out isn't going to be the right one. Like create 10 boxes. And when you release version one and it fails, check off that box and be like, awesome. I'm that much closer to the thing I should be building. <laughs> you know, because when you get to number 10 or maybe sooner, or maybe it's more, you're on the right way, but you have to, you have to have a relationship with just putting things out and paying attention and getting your ego out of the way and just seeing how the world responds to it. I love that. Well, I uh, just have just have one more question yeah. for you. Uh, what does success look like for you in this lifestyle? I think I know we've already kind of touched mm. on it. Could probably, you know, stab in the dark, not in the dark, lights dimly on. But <laughs> what does success look like for you in this lifestyle? Success for me is first and foremost being able to to be unapologetically weird, to have the opportunity to put my own sense of weird into the world however it feels right so that comes back to autonomy the autonomy with my time and with the autonomy with my ideas in that autonomy and nobody else telling me what's right or what's wrong yes or no it's uh, it's up to me to put me into the world and so and that is like me discovering me so i guess success for me selfishly is getting to better know who i am and know who i want to become you know, a really good friend of mine, uh, this guy, Mark Nogger, actually the founder of Startup Weekend. There was this theme last year that circulated a lot and I actually designed a pair of skis that uh, was built around this theme. It was for him, he wanted to not just live the life he's created, but create the life he wants to live. That's a turning point, right? We're often stuck doing something because we made a series of choices, but to stop and have perspective and be like, wait a second, let's align to the person who I really am, who I can be, who I know I want to be and get on that track. So I, I think success is just being aligned to how I get to best serve the world is kind of what it feels like. Yeah, I love it. Well, Kyle, thanks so much, man, for, for being on the podcast. Where can people learn more about you and uh, say hey to you on social media? Yeah, I love messages. I love uh, 
you know, being asked questions and being challenged and telling me uh, if they have a critique on any of the stuff that I'm doing, always looking to grow. So Instagram's probably the number one at Kyle Kesterson. That's my daily exercise. So that's where you can probably connect with me the most. <laughs> uh, otherwise, you know, kylekesterson.com. Actually, shoot me an email to kyle at freaknggenius.com. Happy to, happy to, and the types of things that I'll usually respond that I can respond well to is like, you know, maybe you're at a point where you're, you have an idea, you don't know what to do with it. What next, you know, I'm in and around transition is, you know, I do a lot of that. So happy to go through that. If you're working on something and you want feedback on it, uh, happy to do that. If you have questions around like fundraising and investors, I've got horror stories. Happy to tell you. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll put your, I'll make sure to put your email in the, the show notes too. It's freak. And then the letter N genius, not freak I N. Correct. So, so it's, yeah, basically uh, freak and genius. So freak and genius. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, man, uh, for being on the podcast. I appreciate your time and uh, for, for being on the show. It was great. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate this. And I'm looking forward to seeing how you continue to grow in uh, your own career. Sounds good, man. Thanks, Kyle. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to today's episode with Kyle. If you want to grab the show notes from this episode, head on over to heathandalyssa.com forward slash episode 36, and you can find all the links that we mentioned. Say what's up to Kyle on Instagram. He has an amazing feed of photos. I'm jealous. He's a, he's an incredible photographer, and I aspire to take photos like him. <laughs> Again, we'd love to have you at the RV Entrepreneur Summit this coming February 24th through the 26th in Fredericksburg, Texas. It's going to be awesome, and if you're interested, hit me up in my email, heath at campgroundbooking.com. I'll make sure to take care of you and get you on the wait list for that so when we release our next tickets, you'll know. All right, guys, I'll see you next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.